You're listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Eric Barton. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. Well, as Matt said, we want to continue to focus on the mission and the message way more than just the method. We're excited about this new opportunity, and yet we realize that this is a bit strange and new for all of us. But I want to remind you at home that even where you sit, that the church is the new covenant community of the Spirit. That doesn't change. And the mission of the church, even in a distributed sort of environment like this, is to make disciples of Jesus. That doesn't change. And specifically at Bethel, we believe that this church in this community has been called to grow communities. Even in an opportune environment and circumstance like this, we're still called to grow communities, to build leaders and to live generously. And so the mission of our church is to make disciples. That's how we want to do it as Bethel. And then we still want to be about all these ministries. As Mike said, there's actually a lot of ministry going on. It's just happening in a distributed, not just on Sunday kind of way. And your giftedness is how you actually continue to execute the ministries of this church. So I want us to continue to think in those terms that that is the mission of this church. That does not change regardless of what's going on in the world. Now, speaking of what's going on in the world, I want to go ahead and talk directly to that. Most of us have had opportunities the last couple of weeks to sit at home and read blogs and listen to podcasts, perhaps even hear some sermons. And there's all kinds of opinions. There's all kinds of thoughts about what's going on in the world. How is God using the coronavirus? Well, I don't know. But here's what I'm pretty certain of is that God is sovereign and he's not taken by surprise. And this is an opportunity for us to all pause and to be aware that God is doing something, but there's never been a time when God was not doing something. But I think particularly in the year 2020, I think this circumstance has really taken the entire world's attention. It's an opportunity for us to go, hey, what is going on in our culture and in our community? And as I've looked back and I've read a whole lot and I've listened to a whole lot of people speaking about this, here's my thought. That the 21st century, if nothing else, has primarily been characterized by a worldview that culturally goes like this. You do you. That that's the whole ethos and ethic of the world for the last 20 years in this century. It's you do you. And I think what the coronavirus pandemic is proving is that that worldview doesn't work. It just doesn't sustain. It doesn't hold up because listen, there was not a problem with toilet paper in the supermarkets until somebody took more than they needed. All it took was one person to evidence the arousal of the flesh and the sin nature, and it caused a panic. There was no lack of resources until you do you began to spread even more quickly than the virus. And so this is an opportunity for us to go, what do we really believe? What do we really and truly trust in? And when I think about what our church is doing as we're continuing to walk through the book of Romans providentially in God's sovereignty, we find ourselves now in chapter 14. Now I'm really excited about this. We've mentioned this before, but I'm only going to preach and talk on the last few verses of chapter 14 this morning, because at our other campuses, each one of those campus pastors is going to 
tackle one portion of Romans chapter 14. And then those teachings are going to be made available to you every day of this coming week so that you can listen to it devotionally as a household and still walk through all of Romans 14 taught by our different campus pastors. I get the privilege of talking about the last four verses of Romans chapter 14. And like we typically do, here's what I want to do. I want to land the plane with our big idea. And then I want to apply the passage at the end. And then we're just going to talk about it conversationally and casually. But the big idea, I think, for these last four verses of Romans chapter 14 goes like this. And I think it's perfectly pertinent for what we're experiencing in our world today. The big idea goes like this. Our fellowship matters more than my freedom. It's interesting that the Apostle Paul, writing to a group of churches in Rome that he'd never visited, speaks to this, and we're going to see how this unpacks in our passage this morning. Heather Hall is going to read this for us, and then I'm going to try to unpack it a little bit. So follow along as Heather reads Romans 14, 20 to 23. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have keep between you yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because the eating is not from faith. For whatever he does not proceed from faith is sin. Amen. That is God's word. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Heather, for reading that. I want to just quickly walk back through um, Romans 14, 20 to 23 here, and talk about how this passage, I think, synthesized down is all about our fellowship mattering more than my freedom. Everyone seems to be consumed with the idea of, yes, I'm going to do me, you do you, but apparently what matters to God is something different. It's the fellowship. It's the group. So in verse 20, The Apostle Paul says, do not fear for the sake of food, or sorry, do not for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Now that's interesting in and of itself that God is at work to build the body of Christ. The work of God is to create group. And so when we adopt a you do you kind of mindset, we're actually working against God. Now Paul's gonna use a very specific instance and illustration to make this point. But he says in verse 20, do not for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. The work of God is to build the body of Christ in this age. Everything is indeed clean. That's interesting. Paul says, look, I get it. There is stuff that is perceived differently by different people. But ultimately, everything in this age in the New Testament is clean. There is no more restriction dietarily whatsoever. I get it, Paul says, everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. So now Paul's gonna use a very specific example of causing another brother to stumble. So there's all this idea about, hey, I'm gonna do me, you do you. But Paul says, actually, if you adopt that worldview, you may be causing somebody else to stumble and that's bad for the fellowship. But our fellowship matters more than our freedom. Verse 21, he says, it is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. So what Paul's prescribing here to these churches that he's never met is, hey, I want you to be others focused. I want you to be fixated on the fellowship more than your own individual freedom. Now, this is really fascinating. 
The last time we were all gathered together in this room, we finished up chapter 12 that had all these exhortations, all these imperatives of how we are to actually get along with one another. But then chapter 13 is all about how we are to submit to the governing authorities that God has put in place over us. Chapter 15 is all about evangelism and mission. But right here in the middle, for context, chapter 14 is dealing with how are we actually going to get along? We can't be on mission. We can't be about evangelism if we as a people aren't actually making it work at home, in our individual households, and certainly as a church. We have no voice. We can't be heard if our fellowship isn't actually functioning properly. So Paul says, I don't want you to be so fixated on your individual freedom that you actually forego the fellowship. That's interesting. He says, it's good, verse 21, not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. So even our practical, mundane, day in, day out practices, we are to be mindful of them. Now, can we take it too far? Yes, of course. If it begins like, hey, I don't want to be seen as doing this, that's taking it to excess. That's actually not exercised in faith. But being mindful that the things that we do and say and consume might actually have an impact on somebody else. If you're Parents, you know how this works. You know how this feels. If you've got kids and they're bickering and they're fighting, your expectation is that the older sibling will take one for the team to build peace in the family. And when that happens, there is great rejoicing in the land. And you see that kid is actually growing. That kid is demonstrating maturity. They have freedom, but they're actually laying it aside for the sake of the family. That's a beautiful thing when families do that. And so we as a church, as a fellowship, have the opportunity to do the same kind of thing. Verse 22, Paul moves on. He says, the faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Now, this verse has been misapplied, misused for centuries. That, hey, my faith is just between me and God. That's not what Paul's talking about. He's not talking about your confession that Christ is alive, that he is the substitutionary atonement for your sin. It's not what Paul's talking about. He's talking about your personal convictions of your freedom in Christ. That's great. But when you begin to overbearingly drop that on somebody else who doesn't quite get that yet, then it becomes a stumbling block to the other person. So keep your convictions to yourself and don't impose them on other people. It's not always easy for us to do, but Paul's obviously heard a report while he's sitting in Corinth that this is what's happening in the Roman churches because of the influence of the Roman culture. Paul says, no, no, no. I want you to demonstrate maturity in laying aside your freedom for the sake of another. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed, literally happy, is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. It's a technical verse. It's kind of strange, but Paul's just saying, listen, it is a good way to live. It's a wonderful way to live in happiness when you have no accounts with anybody else because you have forced something on them that makes them uncomfortable, makes them ill at ease. You have a freedom. That's great but it's a better thing to lay that aside for the sake of another than to impose it on somebody else, to have a clear conscience before God, before your brother and sister in Christ. And then verse 23, but whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats. It's a strange verse. Paul's saying, listen, if a younger brother or sister in the faith has doubts and is forced to consume or to perform some activity under the guise of Christian freedom, and they do it anyway, you're actually causing them to stumble. You're actually causing a crisis of faith in them. And that person, if they do it, Paul says is actually condemned, not eternally. It's not that, but they're saying they're acting 
outside of their faith, you and I don't want to be the kinds of people that impose and influence someone to that end. Whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because the eating is not from faith. You're causing someone to act outside of their faith. They may not be there just yet. And so you're causing them to act outside of the construct of faith. And then Paul gives this astonishingly succinct, brief definition of sin at the end of verse 23. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Now, 1700 years ago, Augustine took that verse to mean probably a little bit more than it actually does. In the context, Paul's saying, listen, if you're causing someone to act apart from faith, you're actually causing them not just to stumble, but to act in sin. That's not what the fellowship is about. It is theologically true that anything that proceeds apart from faith is not sin. We want to be mindful of that. And so we have as a fellowship, an opportunity to help people to fight for one another's faith, as the book of Jude says, to fight for one another's faith and to edify and to not cause people to try to experience the freedom that we have if it's causing them to have an existential crisis of what they actually believe. So we have an opportunity to create this environment in which they can actually begin to grow in freedom as well. But again, I think the point of these last four verses is that our fellowship matters more than my freedom. So if I can, just very quickly, I want to apply this with three very quick principles or implications. The first goes like this. It's possible for two people to do the exact same thing and it be sin for one person and not the other. We have a tendency to get so uh, wound up and bound up in the actual action. But really, apparently what matters to God, Paul will say in Corinthians, is the underlying attitude beneath the action. It's possible for two people to do the same exact action. For one, it be sin. And for one, it not be sin. The interesting thing is to the outside world, we can't tell. There could be people showing up to church, either in their home this morning or actually in the gathering, for one person, it be sin because they're doing it apart from faith. They think that merely by showing up, God owes them something. Or that by giving, that God now transactionally owes them something. Whereas another person is giving sacrificially because they just love Jesus. And they want for that action to be an expression of love and worship. Same exact action for one person, it be sin, for one, it not. And candidly, a lot of the time, our fellowship is the breeding ground not for coronavirus, but for actions that are not born out of an attitude of worship and affection. And so we want to continue to say, hey, listen, we want to have a fellowship that actually creates worship and freedom, not merely mechanical actions. So it's possible for two people to do the same thing for one to be sin and for one to not be sin. Second point, it's really interesting from this passage, the end of chapter 14. The mark of maturity is growth in Christian freedom. Paul will say the stronger brother, the stronger sister actually understands that they have a freedom in Christ. That all foods anymore, all foods, if you want to eat zebra, eat zebra. It's delicious wrapped in bacon, ranch dressing. It's phenomenal. If you want to eat the hoopoe and the giraffe, go to town. There is nothing that's actually unclean. We have, as maturing Christians, a growth and an understanding of freedom because what it means to be a Christian is that we are in Christ. For freedom, Christ set us free. The mark of maturity is understanding and flourishing in that freedom. We've said this throughout our Romans series that part of growth in Christianity is 
actually learning to live in light of our forgiveness and the freedom that that is bought for us. However, we don't want to impose that on someone who may not be at the same point in the journey as we are. So second point through the mark of maturity is growth in Christian freedom, which brings up the third point and it goes like this. The ultimate freedom is to lay it aside for the sake of the fellowship. Yes, we have Christian freedom. Yes, we get to enjoy things like wine or bacon or whatever. But the ultimate freedom is to be willing to lay that aside for the sake of another. It builds peace. It builds fellowship. It builds harmony in the family. And I think God is honored. I think those within the church are edified. And certainly the witness outside of the church in the community takes notice and says, man, I want that. I see that. I desperately crave that. I don't know how to have that otherwise, but I see that y'all have something. We want to pursue that. And we needn't look no further for that than Jesus, who being in very nature God, considered equality with God, not a thing to be grasped and to be flaunted and held onto, but he laid it aside. Why? For the sake of people who were less than, who were undeserving, who were rebels at heart, who were in very nature God-haters by nature. And yet Jesus laid aside his freedom on the cross so that we could experience and enjoy what it is to be in Christ and to have freedom together. And so we, as the actual body of Christ, the physical manifestation, the presence of Christ in this age, we get to come together corporately and demonstrate and display what Jesus was like by laying aside things that might cause others to stumble and instead use our freedom to bring other people along so that their faith can flourish as well. That's the function of the fellowship. So our fellowship matters more than my freedom. Our hope, our prayer is that God continues to move in and through the people of Bethel Bible Church, downtown campus, all of Bethel and all five of our campuses through the church universal at large and that God would get the glory through all of that. So that's the end of Romans 14 verses 20 to 23. I would love is we're sitting here together. If you guys have some thoughts, comments, questions on that, or even Mike, if there are some other comments that are coming in from online, we'd love to have those as well. Yeah, we actually, we got one here. I just put it on the screen um, about what do you mean that the fellowship can be a breeding ground for sin? I oh, think sin is yeah. I, about that. Matt, do you oh, have a thought on that? Well, I was just going to say one time we were going to a church and there was the Sunday school that was meeting every week. And the guy that was tasked with leading it did not want to lead it. <laughs> and it was clear to me. And one Sunday, everybody's there again, and he's just been dragging in, teaching. And he, he just closed the book and said, I can't, be, I can't lead this class. And I was like, you have just led us. <laughs> because it's possible to <laughs> sin doing Christian activity Absolutely. when you're doing it out of the wrong heart. That's right. And I think that, that, that to me is something like the religious obligation that can so often characterize Christian scenarios. Uh, it, it causes people to actually sin in their minds in service of the Lord. That's right. Well, right. And if we go about mechanically doing things, we're unintentionally breeding sort of a pharisaicalism yeah. where we're just going to do a bunch of stuff, but our hearts are bitter and resentful. And God owes me this. And then we're joyless, wraith-like beings that are actually having a negative influence on the people around us. And so we actually create a culture of transactional thinking about God. That's an errant thinking about God. 
it's wrong. And so we kind of begin to influence others negatively and wrongly in a way that is not actually freedom. It's that a makes little sense? Bit, yeah, the way under your first point about some, an action could be sin for somebody and not sin for somebody else. Right. It, it's a, I see me, a, a shift of the definition of how we might think of sin as sin being just this thing you do. Right. And it's the thing under the thing. I, I, yeah, anything that proceeds apart from faith, even good, moral, and decent things that are apart from faith out of a failure to believe the gospel, the good news of what God has done in Christ to redeem us to himself and to one another, when I express myself, even in the fellowship, outside of the gospel, out of fear or pride, then that's actually sin. And that happens, unfortunately, a lot of times in the fellowship. Were you going to say something else? Uh, no, it, it reminds me, like Matt said, of um, how sometimes people say, I need to take a break from church. Yeah. And that's, that's sad. And I think everybody has felt that at some point, but it's sad because church is the thing from which we should never feel like we need a break. It is freedom. It is rest. It's comfort. It's comfort. And who says that? Who says, hey, I need, I need a break from being loved. And oh, I no, need no. a break from rest and comfort. Well, in that way, right? it's like this is, how, this is how God is hiding behind even this uncertainty and strangeness for a lot of people who were under this religious duress to act, act, act Sunday to Sunday are getting a break now. And they're sitting at home going, I can't earn my salvation this morning. What am I going to do? Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like there may be it's a great. reevaluation. That's God very much involved in the pause, pause, slow down. You know, there's God's in this. So that's a fair thing. I mean, even convicting as we're watching this this morning that I'm sure there's a lot of people. In fact, I put me included. There was a bit where I went, Oh man, I actually have to come up here and still put a shirt on. Um, <laughs> Thank God. That, that's uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, there was some debate, um, but but there's but this but it, I was very excited about getting to come up and hang out with you guys. And so I mean, there is a there a piece of church. It's really just you know being adulting and stuff yeah, that right. uh, you come up, but to separate the two. Hey, we this is a great question. Uh, I'll even come out, Greg Brandenburg. Uh, oh no, I mean sorry, it was anonymous. I, someone asked a question. <laughs> Uh, here, let me uh, put it up on the screen here. There we go. Hey, so what is the nature of stumbling? If I eat meat in front of a vegetarian, is that a sin, right? Uh, and I will just say, I, I think um, maybe more than any of scripture, I have heard this and said this and been told this my whole life being raised uh, in a Christian home. Don't cause them to stumble. That could cause them to stumble. You don't want to be the one to cause the brother to stumble. Are, are you going to cause somebody to stumble, Megan, by doing X, it's Y, or Z? It's a convenient way to exercise control over people <laughs> is, to, is to cause them to lean into their altruistic, you know, uh, predisposition to love, you know, others, right? But like, let's, let's anyway. hear what you have to say. Yeah. Any of you have to say about this question here, because that's a great question. It's a tremendous question. And I think, like you guys have said, it often gets overapplied. Uh, as a mechanism of control and to impose some sort of Christendom ethic that's not what Paul's talking about. We have to remember, Paul's a person writing to some people in a place at a time for a purpose. And what's going on in Rome, the center of pagan idolatrous worship, is that meat was very often sacrificed to idols in various temples all over the city of Rome. And so a lot of people were saying, I'm not going to risk it. I don't want to eat meat because it might have been sacrificed to an idol. I don't want to risk that. And wine was associated with a libation offering that they would pour out in their temples. And perhaps it was offered to gods and then sold in the market. 
just to be safe, they weren't going to risk that. We've applied a spiritual component to food and drink that's actually foreign to what Paul's talking about. So for us, if there is someone that has a spiritual reason to not eat this or not drink that, that's what we're talking about. But if it's purely, hey, I'm vegan, I don't eat anything but leafy greens and you know probiotic yogurt, that's probably just from a health thing probably not a spiritual thing that they're trying to impose on you. So if it's going to disgust them and make them sick for me to eat my Whataburger in front of them, I'm not going to do that. I also have a heart condition, so I shouldn't do that anymore because then, you know, that's bad. But the stumbling is not just offense. We're talking about causing someone to sin that they begin to have doubts about the faith and their in-Christness. Mm. That's what we want mm. to be very careful of not imposing on people. It's good. What else we got? Uh, you, you, a lot of comments here. A lot of comments on that song, <laughs> oh, by yeah. the way. Most positive. Uh, Sweet. Uh, Most no, no, they were great. They were, they were, people are wanting a, an encore of that here. Um, we've got uh, a lot of people who are daring us to use the germ X on table. Uh, you know, so. I'll get after that. Can you do. know, I was going to. Can I, do. I, yeah. yeah. Did you, did you, no, no, yeah. I was going to say, uh, Mark, do we still have that picture up? Can we put that picture up? So I had a very weird afternoon uh, this past Wednesday where I just kind of was freaking out and didn't know what I should do. Where is it? Is it almost, is it there? Kind of, sort of. We're going to get that thing there. I took a picture. I went to Walmart. I got very nervous and I went to Walmart and uh, I was just. You were going to get essentials. I was going to get essentials. You essential know, oils? Not essential oils. We okay. got plenty of that. But I was thinking, <laughs> I was thinking, let me go and let me pick up some water. Let me do some things. And I got to Walmart and people are walking around with masks on and there's no toilet paper. Or if, they, if there was toilet paper, they give you, they were like, you're allotted one is the sweet sign, you know, and it's single ply and nobody wants that. But, nobody wants that. You know what I mean? Tough times. Can't spare so, a square. So then I'm like, I'm, I'm, I, if, if there could have been a, a camera on me, I'm all over the place. No. I don't know what I'm looking yeah. for. I'm just like, should I get that? Should I get? So at the end, I come with this, I come with the, basically all I had was six, uh, vats of ice cream, little pints, little pints of ice cream. And then, and then, uh, uh, I had a dog, I had to get some dog twists, uh, because I want my dog to like me if it's the end of the world, you know, apparently. Sure. But what I realized was this, I'm not there for essentials. I'm just there for comfort. And I think that we need to, I think this may be a time for us to come into contact with that part of us that needs comfort. And it's always there and it's always been there. And we assuage it with busyness. Right. And we can't do that now. And so we're going to have to come to terms with that part of us that's just uncomfortable and uneasy. And that's, there it is. So I, got, I did end up getting a couple of waters. Oh, I got some cinnamon toast crunch and a couple of mm-hmm. frappuccinos. And then I still did a man thing because I, there was the turkey burgers were on sale. And I thought, well, that's still, I'm still saving money at the end of the world. There's nothing manlike about a turkey burger. Well, that for the record. But anyway, that was like, that's my end of the world provisions right there. Oh, and some floor cleaner for Megan because she likes to... Keep the floor I, I like clean. She likes to clean like, the floor? It well, brings her comfort. It brings everything comfort. with everything on there, except for the water, was about comfort. Totally. That was all it was. Well, this is a great opportunity for all of us to say, hey, Thanks, Mark, really and truly, what brings me comfort? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. What are the things that I escape my anxieties? Mm-hmm. What are those things? And to be honest about it. Yes. Because God can handle our honesty. It's like, gosh, these are the things that I run to. These are my... Um, 
safe havens. Maybe it's Hagen Das. Maybe it's whatever binge watching Swiffing TV. Like a Swiffering like a woman. Yeah. But the scriptures are consistently telling us, no, 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 no. Look to me. Come to Jesus was our first song this morning. So we've said it before. Busyness has been, I think, for the last probably 50 years in our culture, the new justification. Yeah. We have merit and value by how much we're doing. You ask somebody, hey, how you doing? What's the standard answer? 99 out of 100 times, I'm busy. Yeah. I'm busy, which means I matter. Right. I have worth because I'm doing stuff. And now I'm not doing stuff. I'm not actually grinding away in my hamster wheel. Do I have matter and value and worth? And this is an opportune season to go, Man, I do because of who I am and whose I am in Christ. I'm not justified by my busyness. I'm justified by the work of somebody on a cross 2,000 years ago. So it's a great opportunity for us to focus in on that. Yeah. Yeah. I was, and being that we are not busy like we were, even if it's not uh, your identity has been built in that, it's a great, uh, a great time for our lives to get shaken up a bit and to ask some of those questions of how do I spend my time? Mm -hmm. Where do I find my worth and my value? Yep. Uh, because it's, everything well, has to change. Scripture, Paul calls us God's poema. And Miles Davis said that for an <laughs> artist to continue, he must adapt and change. And so for God's poema, he's going to have to use change yep. to bring about his beauty in, in and within us. You the know? apostle Paul and Miles Davis. Yes. I love it. Yeah. I love it. In a nutshell, that's yeah. kind of what we do down here. That's right. Yeah. Right on. What else? Who else is out there? Yeah. Oh, I mean, there's lots of people out here. So, uh, in fact, any, I've got another question here as well. A lot of people just on the Facebook live stream, uh, you know, given Jim Phillips talking, hey, Jesus said, come to me and receive rest. Uh, we get other people talking about, hey, we get to lay aside the idols of hustle and bustle in the season. My prayer has been to give us this daily bread. So a lot of people uh, just kind of affirming going, yes, I, yeah. you know, it's, it's there. Anybody uh, wildly amen. disagree with Eric? Cause yeah, we'd like to talk about, yeah, that's what we're where's that for. guy? It's yeah. now's your chance. People. I mean, come on. You can so ask him anything. My, we're we're my almost son, out of time. Okay. Well, I was, <laughs> yeah, no, um, my, uh, my son was, you know, kind of cracking at you, Matt, saying that you really like the 1950s household oh, wife in there. Is that what this uh, looks like? I don't know. 1950? Oh, I, I think it was the, the mopping rug. stuff. We got Asher and Ruthie's rug or is that James and Anna's rug? Uh, Asher and Ruthie's. Yeah. yeah. Hey, you know, here's, here's a question uh, someone put out there is how do you deal with a legalistic believer who tries to impose their views on you when you know the scripture clearly allows a certain activity? Here, I'll put it up here Can for you us. Say that again? Yeah. In fact, let me, let me just stick it up here on the, on the screen. Uh, so how do you deal with a legalistic believer who tries to impose their views on you when you know the scripture clearly allows the activity? So when someone is, uh, you know, say they're having a, a beer and the, Hey, Hey, you can't do that because you're uh, you, you might cause me to stumble. Let's use that <laughs> hypothetical exam uh, question. There. So if someone were to actually say that, that is actually an excellent opportunity to go to God's word and not say, Hey, let's not operate out of tradition. Mm -hmm. Let's operate out of scripture. When you say that, find me a prohibition that says you can't, or I can't. We don't want to say nay where God has not said nay. We don't want to say yay where God has not said yay. We want to be precisely in the center of God's will and his word and to impose extra restrictions. That's actually taking God's name in vain. Wow. 
to attribute to God that which he did not say. Mm. We want to be very careful about that. And how do I actually relationally involve myself with someone who is a legalistic believer? Man, I love them. They are my brother or sister in Christ. Paul calls them a weaker brother or sister. That's interesting. And so I have to realize I have a position of strength. And so I want to lower the power differential and I want to explain and describe and, and model joy and freedom, but not at their expense. Right. So I have to be mindful that, hey, I have a freedom here that they may not be enjoying, that that is a strength. And I want to not beat them with that because that actually damages the fellowship. So I think that's what we're talking about is being willing to lay that aside. There is no activity. There is no substance, food, drink that matters more than any other person. I think we all know that functionally, but we just want to be diligent, mindful, and intentional about that. Does that make sense? Yeah. That's good. That's great. Hey, we're going to, uh, we're going to wrap this up. Uh, this has been so great. I'm going to come back up here and, um, Say this as I almost fall down. Um, hey, I miss you guys. Uh, we miss being together with our family. We really do. I, candidly, I, I wasn't sure that I would miss you this much, but we really do miss being in tight, close proximity. So I want you to know that we miss you. There's a lot of things going on in a lot of your lives that you've shared with me uh, over email or text or with one another. And Man, we miss you guys. We're thinking about you all the time. We're praying for you. This has been a little bit surreal to have uh, nobody in these chairs. So we're looking forward to being back together sometime soon. We don't know when, but in the meantime, we want to continue to do and be church together. I'm so thankful that we got to do this this morning with these people. Uh, man, they are family as well. So I'm going to uh, pray for us and then I'm going to give us a benediction and then we will be dismissed. So would you join me and praying together. Father, we thank you for this fellowship, for this body of Christ, for these people who are family, this new covenant community of your spirit. We do pray, God, for those who are anxious for something, that you will provide peace and comfort. You'll even provide joy. In the midst of fear and uncertainty and doubt, would you give clarity and direction? Give us a heart of generosity that we would be mindful of those around us who are in need and that you'd give us courage and boldness to serve. So Father, thank you for this morning, for your word as it encourages us, as it challenges us, as it sharpens us uh, to be more mindful of our fellowship than our own individual freedom. Pray God that you would continue to be honored and glorified and that you would continue to be manifest, that you would demonstrate to the world around us who we are in Christ. Father, we do pray that in this generation, in this culture of you do you, that we would be mindful that we are in Christ, that that is the source of our joy, of our fellowship, and yes, even our freedom. So God, thanks for loving us. We pray all these things the only way we can, in the power of your spirit and in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at BethelBible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.